growing pressure to release the tests. There's millions sitting in the BC warehouses and they're gonna expire. Why BC's kits are collecting dust and the push to step up at-home screening. Ottawa cautions against going abroad. I say very clearly, now is not the time to travel. How a travel advisory could be just the beginning. And staggering progress on the Coquihalla Highway. These are the Jessica Bridges right after the event. And these are the Jessica Bridges now. How round-the-clock work has paved the way for reopening. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. BC is facing increasing criticism tonight over its COVID-19 strategy. With the Omicron variant surging in some parts of the country, other provinces are speeding up their booster programs and handing out rapid tests widely. But as Richard Zussman reports, some fear this province is going to have to play catch up on both fronts. Rapid response for rapid tests, a boost for booster shots. As a country, we need to increase the administration of booster doses and expand the use of rapid tests. With Omicron now spreading in community, Ottawa promising to procure more tests and more vaccine. Some provinces moving quickly. Ontario announcing Wednesday they will distribute free take-home rapid tests at liquor stores. Alberta and Quebec are giving them out this holidays at pharmacies. In B.C., nothing. We'll be laying out our uh, rapid testing plan coming up next Tuesday. I'm worried that we're not getting the tests out fast enough and I understand that there have been logistical concerns but we've seen that other provinces have been able to bypass that. The challenge is BC has different tests than Alberta and more aren't expected until the middle of January. Those are the tests BC will provide to the public. Based on what we were told in November and December, it was our expectation that take-home tests would be available, and they're not yet. I mean, ones that are designed and are, and are on-label use of take-home tests, those would be available. They're not available yet. One of the other challenges BC has, the type of tests currently on the shelf. There are about 700,000 take-home tests similar to this, where they need to be broken up, but the liquid comes in one bottle. There aren't enough health workers to do it, but one rapid test expert says, like Nova Scotia, BC should consider asking for volunteers. Overall, in terms of the totality of the pros and the cons, it would be better to make it available first and then work on improving how it gets utilized once it's rolled out. Rapid tests much more reliable than originally expected, with the Roche test being 94% effective, some are closer to 50% effective. Even if you have 50% sensitivity, it's better than having 0% sensitivity. Ontario also announcing Wednesday everyone 18 plus eligible for a third dose three months after their second. This is against NACI guidance and not something BC will follow. Our strategy on October the 26th that everyone would be in line with a booster dose con con uh, consistent with uh, public health uh, recommendations. What BC may do is add new restrictions. Dick saying today Henry is meeting with public health leaders across the country and new measures could come in the next few days. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria.
Now, if you had plans to travel abroad over the holidays, the federal government is advising you to reconsider. Ottawa announcing today that with rising COVID case numbers and the rapid spread of the Omicron variant, it is recommending against non-essential international travel. The government, though, stopping short of issuing an outright travel ban. This follows an emergency meeting the Prime Minister had last night with First Ministers. So today, I have the task of confirming that our government is officially advising Canadians to avoid non-essential travel outside Canada. To those who were planning to travel, I say very clearly, now is not the time to travel. The rapid spread of the Omicron variant on a global scale makes us fear the worst for Canadians that may think of traveling. Traveling Canadians could contract the virus or get stranded abroad. Ottawa has agreed to send shipments of booster doses and rapid tests to provinces and territories to quickly ramp up vaccination campaigns and combat the virus here at home. Now, if you are choosing not to cancel your Christmas getaway, you are being warned to read the fine print of your travel insurance policy before you leave the country. Experts say if you had a travel insurance policy that covered you for COVID-19, that will remain in place. But if you had a medical-only policy, it may not cover you for a level three advisory against non-essential international travel. However, there may be the option to cancel your insurance policy if you are not covered and have a new one issued with proper protection measures against COVID-19. It may be a little bit more expensive, but I can tell you it will be well worth it. In fact, our agency has actually run lists of all the clients that are leaving in the next four weeks, which is um, at least how long this advisory will be in place. And then we will be contacting everyone who actually may need to top up their insurance policy. Newell says anyone already on vacation right now should remain protected with the current policy they have in place. But this could affect anyone leaving tomorrow and onward. All right, let's take a look at our COVID-19 numbers for the past 24 hours. We have 584 new cases, 3,458 active cases now. 193 people are in hospital with 77 of those patients in the ICU. Seven more people have died from complications of the virus. Keith Baldry joins us now to talk more about a growth in cases in one particular health region that's actually been fairly quiet recently. Keith? Yeah, last night I talked about Vancouver Island suddenly having a big spike in COVID-19 cases. Tonight, Vancouver Coastal has been very quiet, uh, 30, 40, 50 cases a day. Not so anymore. There have been a real spike. Uh, take a look at some of the numbers. 180 cases reported today in Vancouver Coastal. That's the highest one-day case count since the end of May. The average daily case is now up to 94 cases a day, about double uh, the average on a daily basis October, November. And today, 798 active cases in this health region, the highest since May mid-October. Uh, the reason for this, it's an old problem. It was there at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, we've seen it before. House parties. Here's Health Minister Adrian Dix. The issue in Vancouver Coastal Health, and we've seen uh, in, uh, in uh, Vancouver Island Health as well, is what we call unorganized events, where people come together for parties and social events, which happen frequently this time of year. And, and two, two things I'd say. One, um, I, I would expect, uh, I think they should heed, what doc people should heed what Dr. Henry said yesterday, which is this is the time for caution. We have a new variant of concern in the world. 
which is, um, which is transmitting in another province, Ontario, not a small one. Uh, it's, like it's soon to become the dominant variant of concern. And people need to be uh, extremely cautious. So a bit of concern here. The test positivity rate in Vancouver Coastal has also gone up significantly. So public health officials obviously keep an eye on this and other situations. Uh, restrictions could be ahead. We don't know. We're in the, the winter season where people are gathering indoors at far greater numbers. Omicron, the proverbial game changer. So as I've been saying since the beginning, nothing's ever etched in stone. We're constantly evolving when it comes to rules and protocols. All right. Well, can't wait to see what happens next then. Thanks, Keith. Ontario is restricting attendance at NHL games in a bid to stop the spread of the Omicron variant. The decision comes as the Public Health Agency of Canada urges provinces to rethink their approach to allowing full NHL arenas. Teams are struggling to contain COVID-19 outbreaks, including four players with the Vancouver Canucks. The Omicron variant is spreading rapidly and federal health authorities are concerned that packed arenas provide an opportunity for the virus to spread. Unmasked. Effective Saturday, December 18th at 12.01 a.m. Any venue with a capacity of 1,000 or more will be capped at 50 percent. It's, it's entertainment, uh, it's also, it's, it's big business, uh, uh, but at the end of the day, it's, it's a lot of people gathering, uh, indoors especially, to witness professional sports. At the present time, if I understand, uh, you know, let's say sports events, uh, arenas, hockey arenas are, are still at full capacity, that's something I think that needs to be looked at. Health Minister Adrian Dix says BC is considering bringing in capacity limits. Well, with all the impacts the pandemic has had on our lives, British Columbians are hitting the bottle harder than ever. A study by UVic researchers has found alcohol consumption during the first year of the pandemic was way up. Kylie Stanton has the details. Filling the cart one bottle at a time eventually adds up, but not only at the cash register. So it comes to 24-24. New research out of the University of Victoria's Canadian Institute for Substance Use Research shows alcohol consumption in BC during the first year of the pandemic is higher than ever. I would say this is a bit of a spike on top of a larger trend towards increasing alcohol sales in the province, probably about 3 to 4% overall. According to the data, between April 1st of 2020 and March 31st of 2021, 9.32 litres of pure alcohol per adult in B.C., was consumed. That amounts to 547 cans of beer or 104 bottles of wine. I'm not surprised. Something that's not really a shock to those here. Well, people are at home so, so much more and they got nothing else to do. I think it's picked up everybody's alcohol consumption. But it's also the fact booze has never been easier to come by. With BC alcohol policies loosening during the pandemic, liquor stores have been deemed essential. Consumption is allowed in some municipal parks. Also, home delivery is now available. And while bars and restaurants reported huge decreases in consumption, liquor stores have more than made up for it. Over the first eight months of the year, we had an increase in our sales by about 10%. And then when the holiday season hit, our sales went up by about 30% comparatively to previous years. But Namie says that's cause for concern. Alcohol consumption already taxes the healthcare system, and if the policies remain in place long term, it will only add to the problem.
So the real issue is that the lasting legacy of COVID may be this undoing of, of um, decades worth of research and action to, to have reasonable safeguards in place. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Mark your calendar. December 20th is the partial reopening day for the Coquihalla. Essential commercial traffic will be allowed on the stretch next week, but be warned, this will not be the same Coquihalla we've become used to. The incredible effort that went into rebuilding the road and the changes drivers will be facing next on the News Hour. Well, the Canucks make it five straight wins, but COVID is threatening to pause the streak. The latest on the team's positive test results later. And the Sunset Beach Barge gets some official recognition. That's still to come on the news hour. Right now, the welcome news tonight for people in the interior who've been suffering from supply chain problems after last month's devastating floods and landslides. The Transportation Ministry announcing the Coquihalla will reopen to essential traffic next week. Aaron MacArthur has the details. In sections, the destruction along the Coquihalla was near total. 130 kilometers of Highway 5 were impassable. 14 sections washed away or undermined. Seven bridges sliced and five debris flows cut across the lanes. Just more than a month after the initial storm that caused this damage, the Coquihalla will be reopening. By December 20th, trucks will be moving along this key corridor. May well be one of the most remarkable engineering feats in recent memory in the province of British Columbia. The work to repair the Coquihalla has been a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week effort. 300 crew members, along with 200 pieces of heavy equipment, have moved hundreds of thousands of cubic meters of fill and rock to reopen the road. And while the Coke will be open, it won't be the same stretch of highway. Sections will be reduced down to two lanes. Temporary spans are in place at several bridges. Speeds will be reduced. We anticipate that it will take up to an additional 45 minutes to get through this segment in optimal weather conditions. Coquihalla will be open to commercial vehicles and intercity buses only. But the projection is that within 24 hours of opening, the essential travel order along Highway 3 will be lifted. For communities like Princeton, seeing a reduction in commercial traffic is welcome news. Been experiencing a lot of highway closures. Uh, a lot of safety concerns, so anything that the province can do right now to help us alleviate those safety concerns is, is a big sigh of relief for us. Highway 99 will also be opening to non-essential travel once the Coquihalla is partially restored. Highway 1 through the Fraser Canyon expected to be open sometime in the new year. The job of restoring the Coquihalla to its previous capacity will still take some time. More information expected on that in January. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, following last month's devastating floods, at least 100 people won't be able to return home in Princeton. Their houses were either washed away in the flood or are damaged beyond repair. It's feared that as more damage assessments are completed, the number of uninhabitable homes will rise. For the time being, the city is waiting for provincial approval to set up a temporary camp in an industrial park. When I speak of long-term housing or interim housing, we're, we're speaking about who or how we're going to put people somewhere during the period between when they can get back in their house and rebuild it, and, and especially over the winter. Coyne says despite the challenges, Princeton residents are committed to their town recovering from all the damage quickly and efficiently. 
And in times of crisis, as we've said before, British Columbians come out to help. Global BC, 980 CKNW, AM 730 and Global Okanagan are partnering for BC Together in support of BC flood relief. Visit globalnews.ca slash bctogether to check out the groups stepping up to help out and donate to an organization of your choice. Well, UBC's engineering department has released one of the first extensive reports into last month's flood and mudslide disaster and how to potentially avoid a repeat of the devastation. As Ted Trenecki reports, they're warning about potential unseen threats to our system of dikes. In recent days, this disaster has been described by First Nations as the earth crying. And this morning at UBC, it was a similar message, albeit spoken in the inimitable way of an academic. In this way, depositional landforms known as fans are formed over time. In their own way, they're saying the same thing. There are visual clues that can foretell a looming catastrophe, but it requires a lot of eyes in the air and ears to the ground. For example, we need to be watching extreme weather events more closely. We need more data from on the ground, so flow monitoring stations, weather stations, better spread around the landscape to include more remote areas. Those hundred years of recorded meteorological records that we have may not be so useful. If things are changing, then of course we cannot take the past to be representative of the future. That controversial Trans Mountain pipeline built in 1953 ended up bending but not breaking. I must say that uh, pipelines are one of the safest uh, ways of transporting fluids over long distances. The history uh, tells us very clearly on that. That said, the slides identified new areas where risk management needs to be addressed. Soil pipe interaction is a very complex problem. And moreover, the hazard is also complex. We don't know how much it's, it's going to be. And we need to peer deeper into many, if not most, of the 700 kilometers of dikes in the Lower Mainland. This dramatic video shows a dike in Abbotsford simply giving way. Not because only water overflowed it, but possibly because erosion may have been happening internally, hidden from view. And one of the first things to do is to, uh, to go and inspect as early as we can and as methodically as we can the state of the dike system after this flood, looking for evidence not only of external erosion and or slope instability, but also evidence of internal erosion. If there's anything positive to come out of this, it's that scientists are now armed with a lot of new data to help plan the future. Ted Chernecki, Global News. A significant cultural gift today to young paddlers from a group of First Nations hard hit by the recent Fraser Valley flooding. The Stolo Nations representing, or pardon me, presenting a handcrafted ancestral canoe to the Skolitz Band, whose traditional territory is near Harrison. The canoe was made by the Billy family, who've been crafting traditional dugout and cedar strip canoes for generations. It will enable First Nations youth to participate in paddling events around the province. We've had multiple kids first time being on a ferry. First time seeing salt water. First time being in salt water. And for some of them, first time ever leaving their homelands, their home reservations, realizing that there's a whole other big world out there. 
The Canoe Cultures program is sponsored by Concord Pacific and features works by elders and apprentice carvers. Well, the VPD is releasing more information about the killing of a well-known caretaker of a Westside Park. New images of Justice Daniel in the last hours of his life and where police are focusing their investigation. Plus, Mexico takes um, assaults towards women extremely, extremely seriously. A Vancouver woman back home after a brutal attack in Mexico. What she says about that night. Good evening. Still waiting for emergency crews to arrive on scene to a minor two-car crash southbound at the north end of the Knight Street Bridge in the left lane. Traffic is gridlocked trying to get out of Vancouver. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Knight Street Bridge. Still no arrests in the killing of an elderly park caretaker in Kitsilano last week, but some new information has come to light. Vancouver police have released surveillance photos of Justice Daniel from the day he was killed in the hopes more witnesses will come forward. Emily Lassiton reports. Flowers on the ground, a reminder something terrible happened in Kitsilano's Tatlow Park last week. Police tape means this is still very much an active crime scene. Vancouver police releasing new photos of Justice Daniel from the day he was killed, hoping it might jog someone's memory. We're hoping that this sparks the memory of those in the community, those close to him. So if anybody saw him in this particular outfit and they spoke to him that day or they saw him, please call our investigators. The images of Justice Daniel captured on this camera at this coffee shop on Bayswater and West 4th Avenue. Avenue, just a two-minute walk from his home. Employees inside tell us he was a regular who came in every morning. A daily cup of coffee and a smile to greet his neighbors. We moved into the area about 13 years ago and the first person that came by was Justice and welcomed us to the neighborhood. And he just became a, a friend. He would stop by for a coffee or a beer. His body found in his residence in Tatlow Park last Friday. Investigators say the 77-year-old was killed the day before. Wednesday morning, city crews alongside police were seen sifting through debris from storm drains near the park. For now, there are no suspects in this case and no motive, and police aren't saying how he died. The well-known caretaker is being remembered for his kind and gentle soul, a talented guitar player and singer, someone who went out of his way to talk to people. Police say the homicide has shaken the community. We're also specifically looking to speak with anyone who had contact with Justice on December the 9th between noon and 7 p.m. We're looking for specific um, video surveillance that's attached to any home or any business. Uh, within the area of West 5th Avenue and Point Grey Road between Larch and Trutch Streets. A beloved neighbor who left his mark in this Kitsilano neighborhood will no doubt be missed. Now police turning to the public that someone out there will recognize these photos and come forward with valuable information. I can't believe that anybody would kill justice because he, he, could, he wouldn't have an enemy in the world. Emily Lazatin, Global News. We are hearing firsthand tonight from the Vancouver woman who suffered a horrifying attack in Mexico. First, a warning. Her injuries are severe and may be troubling to see for some people. 
This is Jamie Coots back at home in Vancouver two days after extensive reconstructive surgery. She was allegedly attacked by a professional boxer from Ontario when she told him that her friend didn't want him following her home from a bar in Playa del Carmen. Coots has had metal plates inserted in her mouth, cheek and nose and says it'll be months before she will feel normal again. She says she doesn't even remember being hit. My last memory was of him walking the opposite direction, but I thought, I guess he had walked in the opposite direction to get a bit of a running start at me. So um, when he hit me, I didn't see it coming. I was out for about five minutes. And then when, um, when I woke up, I just remember being covered in blood and holding my face and just screaming in pain. Coots says a man identified as Peter Novacek remains in custody in Mexico on a charge of attempted murder. You may recall Coots from back in March when she posted a video of a man following her for 40 minutes near Chinatown. Well, no humans were injured in a structure fire in Port Alberni this afternoon, but sadly, two cats did not survive. However, a third cat, this one, was rescued from a smoke-filled room. And while it was unresponsive to begin with, fire crews were able to revive him using a specialized oxygen mask. The blaze on Gertrude Street was confined to one unit, but multiple apartments also sustained smoke damage. Coming up, a new petition targeting the mayor of Surrey. You know, we are the citizens of Surrey. Our input should matter. The campaign to cut off public money for Doug McCallum's legal bills. Also ahead, predicting the next variant. How a team of experts is trying to pin down that next mutation. Good evening. Big delays over here at the Portman Bridge for westbound traffic. Crews are unseen to what was a vehicle fire. It's westbound about halfway down Johnson Hill, just before the bridge deck in the left lane. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a car fire before the Portman Bridge. Several Surrey councillors have boycotted a hastily called in-camera council meeting today, saying the mayor has conducted too many of the closed-door sessions. As Catherine Urquhart reports, it comes as a petition is launched to convince the city not to cover Mayor Doug McCallum's legal bills in a criminal charge he's now facing. This is the part that hurts a little more because it's angle. He hobbled in front of the camera and told us he was in pain after being struck by a car. Then, last week, Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum was charged criminally with public mischief, accused of making the whole thing up. Some people are going to be really curious to sort of get a sense of your injuries. Is there anything you can show us? Well, no, it's, um, I got special shoes on. On Monday, the city of Surrey confirmed taxpayers are paying for his lawyer, Richard Peck, one of the best and priciest lawyers in the country. Frustrated Surrey resident Dave Langlands has started a change.org petition demanding the city stop paying those bills. What I'm asking for is the city of Surrey reconsider their uh, payment of the legal fees for Mr. McCallum with regards to his recent charges of, of a uh, public mischief. Um, public hearing. McCallum's political uh, opponents have called for him to resign or step aside as mayor and head of the Surrey Police Board. BC's top cop has also weighed in, saying McCallum doesn't have to resign. 
That's uh, an issue for the, uh, the mayor uh, to reflect on. Uh, there's no requirement under legislation. As for the Change.org petition, Dave Langlands believes taxpayers should be heard. We are the citizens of Surrey. Our input should matter. So hopefully the city will listen to us. The mayor's PR team told Global News there would be no comment about the petition, calling for McCallum to pay his own legal bills. Here, it, um, it ran across, right across here. I'm really sorry to okay. hear what happened. They did confirm that taxpayers continue to foot the legal bills. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Vancouver City Council has approved policy and zoning changes to encourage construction of rental housing and mixed-use rental buildings of up to six stories on busy commercial streets. Four-story apartment buildings would be considered on a case-by-case -case basis on side streets. The city says this is part of the city's commitment to address the climate emergency and housing crisis. The goal is to create more complete, connected and walkable communities in Vancouver. Staff estimate the changes could help deliver close to 5,000 new secured rental units over the next 10 years. Well, within days, the Omicron variant is set to become the dominant COVID-19 strain in many parts of the world. But could things have looked different had scientists foreseen this mutation? Global's Noor Ibrahim takes a look at whether we can predict a variant before its arrival. University of Waterloo professors Mohamed Kohandil and Amir Darune are watching their laptop very closely. This is the part of the code. In a few hours, the technology they've created on this machine will make an educated guess that could revolutionize how we respond to infectious disease. It has been shown by us and other researchers that artificial intelligence and text mining algorithms can be used to model genetic codes and predict virus mutation. Meaning the algorithm could have foreseen the Omicron variant and many others before they even happened. A feat they believe is the first of its kind in the country. The key is in the genome, the building blocks that make up the virus. When a virus that's copying itself, it will accidentally make mistakes in the genome sequence, resulting in a mutation. But some parts of the sequence will stay the same. The team's technology is able to identify these so-called conserved parts and then predict which ones will mutate. And it only needs the original COVID-19 sequence. 19 mutations of Omicron appeared with a high chance in our analysis. So these predictions are not 100%. We just gave, you know, which ones are more likely to be mutated. Researching COVID-19's next move is the integral work of Covarnet, a national network of 57 researchers, including McGill University's Jesse Shapiro. There's a big focus on Omicron right now. Uh, we try to keep a wide view as well, looking for larger changes. So, for example, if, if uh, alpha and Delta variant infect someone at the same time, uh, could we get a, a hybrid? A COVID-19 mutation has to make sense, just like a grammatically correct sentence. And that means Dr. Shapiro says that there are limitations to how many times COVID-19 can mutate before that sentence turns to gibberish. And that gives scientists a good idea of how the virus is going to behave. Meanwhile, back in Waterloo, Kohandel and his team are refining their technology further, to possibly predict a number of variants in the exact order that they will emerge. Newt Ibrahim, Global News. Just ahead, Vancouver's beached barge just keeps getting more absurd. Hoping to make a bad situation a little bit better.
The park board gives it a name. Is it a sign the vessel is here to stay? And later, birds of a feather don't always stick together. Sometimes a stray flies in and joins the crowd. The lost parakeet who's found a surprising new home. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, let it not be said that the Vancouver Park Board, often embroiled in controversy, doesn't have a sense of humor. The Park Board has erected a new sign near that notorious barge that was grounded in English Bay during last month's storm. The new temporary name, Barge Chilling Beach, is obviously a nod to Vancouver's Guelph Park, which was officially renamed Dude Chilling Park back in 2014 after a sculpture that looks like a person in thoughtful repose. Uh, we thought at the Park Board that we would try and make the best of a bad situation and add a little bit of fun to it. This is as a result of all of the interest from the residents of Vancouver, and this is a way of the park board saying, happy holidays, have some fun, be safe. It seems like this is the most Vancouver thing ever. As for when the, uh, the barge might finally be moved, the park board says the latest word is possibly sometime in the new year. All right, let's bring in senior meteorologist Christy Gordon with a look at our weather forecast. Uh, I can't even remember. I feel like it was dry, so that was that. That's good. I think it was dry. You're wearing a leather jacket. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm freezing out here. I'm going to be honest, Sophie. It was not a good choice of a jacket, that's for sure tonight. You're right, though. Dry, but it's certainly cold, and especially across northern regions. First, I want to quickly talk about a white Christmas. Uh, it looks like we are going to see much colder temperatures starting Wednesday into the Christmas weekend. Uh, so it looks like we have the potential we could see it. It's still so so many days away. But here's a quick look at some stats to, just to give you a perspective. It's been 13 years since we've had a white Christmas. 2008, 41 centimeters on the ground. That's the most we've ever had for a white Christmas. 1964, 30 centimeters. 1998, 20. And you can see 1996. I remember 1998 very, very well, though. All right. So uh, we'll watch to see how things transpire. But it's the cold across the north that we're really concerned about. We have extreme wind chills expected. So these areas highlighted in blue have the potential of exceeding minus 40. That means going below minus 40. When we get those types of scenarios, it's an extreme scenario where we're talking about um, skin can freeze in five to 10 minutes, even less. So if it's exposed, that is the potential for frostbite. So be aware of that. That's overnight tonight and through the morning hours tomorrow. Pulse of snowfall will move into the interior tomorrow morning. It does bring in a chance of showers to our region as well. It will dry out later in the day. It's really just one pulse moving across the region fairly quickly. Minimal amounts, although out towards Hope, you could see about seven centimeters. However, that will be a wet snow, so it may not amount to actually that. When you get wet snow, it compacts significantly. So there's your pulse. Uh, flurries expected overnight through the morning hours, and that's the case in through the Fraser Valley regions. How Sound could see a few flurries as well. Showers. Vancouver drier in the afternoon, actually some sunshine in the afternoon. Next bout of rain will push in Friday evening. It does look like just rain at this point. We'll keep you posted on that, but it looks like it'll be milder as that rainfall pushes in. Tonight's central windows weather window is looking towards the North Shore Mountains from New Westminster. And Ryan and Layfield sending us that one. Just gorgeous seeing that snow on the mountains. It really is uh, just a picturesque shot these days. It is beautiful. 
And let's keep the snow in the mountains where it belongs. <laughs> All right, thanks, Christy. That's uh, a good idea. Right? But that not that, though, the iconic Lions Mountain shot? I mean, it's beautiful in the summer, but in the winter when it has snow on it, that's, oh, yeah, that's the shot. Okay. Dr driving into work today, mm -hmm. you know, heading north, it just, it's gorgeous when there's snow up there. Um, yeah. The Canucks COVID Chronicles. Well, um, good news. Uh, nobody tested positive today. So they can Excellent. get on the plane and head down to San Jose. Of course, they won last night. And while people praise Bruce Boudreaux, Bruce Boudreaux make that for five straight wins. After last night's win, he was praising Quinn Hughes. His passing is elite. His skating is elite. And he does it effortlessly. Hughes was a big reason the Canucks were able to come back from that 3-0 deficit and beat Columbus. Also ahead tonight, the parakeet who flew the coop and landed in a surprising place. We're just getting into the spirit here. Okay. On the news hour. Excellent. It's almost Christmas time. Yeah. Yep. Isn't it time to feel festive? Yes, it is. I'm Thanks. feeling very festive. Canuck fans are feeling very festive. Well, they have reason I to. I know. But let's start with the Canucks COVID situation. Now, the team is uh, leaving for San Jose. They'll play tomorrow, but they didn't want to leave until they got today's test results. And we are hearing that all the players pass the test so they will all head to San Jose however assistant coach Jason King is not going he's in protocol of course four Canuck players were already in protocol Luke Shen, Yuho Lamico, Brad Hunt and Tucker Poolman who did play last night for a bit of the first period and then he was pulled now what happened was the morning test results had not come back from the lab so the Canucks did rapid tests late in the afternoon before the game against Columbus that's when Brad Hunt was found to be positive. But Pullman was negative on the rapid test. But when the lab results came in from the morning test, Pullman was positive. And that's when Bruce Boudreaux lost one of his defensemen. The test came back late um, and uh, while he was playing. And so once the test came back, he was positive. We had to pull him off the ice. So we just followed all the NHL guidelines and the NHL protocols. And and that's that's what happened. It would have obviously been nicer if we had got the result before the game but we didn't i keep thinking that somewhere jim benning must be sick to his stomach this is his team that has won five straight games i'm not saying he shouldn't have been let go but when you look at what's happened since the house cleaning who looks to have been the real problem small sample size obviously but it would appear that travis green was more of an issue than benning same players there's been no trading and Bruce Boudreaux has them winning. And last night's win was the most impressive. They deal with the COVID news. They lose a defenseman halfway through the first period. They spot Columbus a 3-0 first period lead, and they still win. And since he got here, Bruce Boudreaux, I mean, the player outside of Thatcher Demko, really amazed him is Quinn Hughes. One of those amazing Quinn Hughes moments was last night, the 3-3 goal by Vasily Podkolzin. Hughes sets it up. He basically does a Jedi mind trick on the entire Blue Jackets team. They pay attention to him and forget about Pod Colson. His passing 
is elite. His skating is elite, and he does it effortlessly. And for a guy his size that can play 27, 28 minutes, hard minutes a night, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's pretty, like, awe-inspiring, if you ask me. I mean, uh, um, I haven't had a guy like that, uh, you know, maybe Mike Green in his early years, but uh, uh, that's, that's a pretty special player right there. Jim Rutherford hired another Pittsburgh Penguin alumni as his assistant general manager today. Derek Clancy will join the Canucks after spending 14 years with the Penguins. He was part of three Stanley Cup championships. Part of his job in Vancouver will be to oversee both pro and amateur scouting staffs. Like Rutherford, Clancy is a Hall of Famer. He's in the East Coast Hockey League Hall of Fame where he both played and coached. Yes, and Diamo, the Vancouver Whitecaps schedule for next season was released today. Season is actually not that far away. It starts on February 26th on the road in Columbus. First home game March 5th against the now MLS champion New York FC. The uh, night with the most home games next season is Saturday. There will be 10. There are 17 home games in all. It is a long season. The final game is not until October 9th in Minnesota. BC Lions head coach Rick Campbell has retained the bulk of his coaching staff from this past season. He has also named Ryan Phillips as the Lions' new defensive coordinator. He was strictly the Lions' defensive back coach this past season. Also receivers Brian Burnham and Lucky Whitehead were put on the CFL's 2021 All-Star team. The Seattle Seahawks announced today that they will be spending more time in BC in the future. They'll be doing more marketing in this province. They will bring Seahawk players up for events like youth camps and fan appreciation days or nights. The Seahawks have about 3,300 season ticket holders from B.C. They average just over 13,000 single-game tickets sold to B.C. fans every season. Now, what is also included in this increased presence in B.C. is the very real possibility of the Seahawks playing a regular season game at BC Place Stadium in the future. They've held an exhibition game at BC Place, but never a game that counts. And since the NFL has gone to 17 games per season and every second season you get nine home games, they won't mind perhaps taking one home game out of Seattle and giving it to Vancouver. World Cup ski cross team race and both of Canada's team members, Reese Howden and uh, Zoe Chore from BC, Howden of Cultus Lake, Chore of Cranbrook. Howden won his race. Whoa, the Austrian skier went down hard, but he'd be okay. So Howden won the men's race. Chore did have the lead early in the women's race, but uh, the Swedish skier passed her. So we ended up with the silver medal. Good job by a couple of BC skiers doing the ski cross over in Europe. There you go. We seem to be good at it. We are good at it. All right. Thanks, Squire. You're welcome. Up next, breaking free of the birdcage, the parakeet who appeared where it probably shouldn't have. Next. out a feeder to help birds make it through the cold months is something a lot of Canadians do. But as Global's Gil Tucker shows us, in one Calgary yard, it's led to an unexpected holiday guest. 
this time of winter, we just put a little feed out. It's just nice to have a little nature in the city. The winter welcome mat is always out for JB and Wendy's feathered friends. We get blue jays and uh, the <laughs> woodpeckers. Oh, here come our sparrow. And along with them, a surprise visitor over the past two months, a parakeet. I can only assume it escaped from somewhere. If it's somebody's pet, it'd be nice if they, if they got it back. Because the parakeet can mimic the sparrow's call, the sparrows accepted into their flock. I still worry about it wintering. Like, it's, it's pretty cold. I've looked at all sorts of ways of trying to catch it, but haven't been able to get near it. I'm not sure we should catch it. If it was in distress or something, I'd be happy to help it out, but it seems to be surviving and quite happy. Just support it. Plenty of parakeets at this pet store. As for one of them ending up outside... That is chilly. It could be very tough for him to survive this winter. Who knows? Maybe he's got a, some Christmas miracle helping him out. <laughs> some warm places to hide. The area in the back where the vine is, the heat from the furnace and the dryer come up there. The birds seem to hover in that vine a lot. He knows where to go. I call him Skeeter because I was thinking parakeet, what rhymes with keep and skeet works. And he skitters around and Skeeter seemed like a good name. I hope he survives the winter and stays for the summer. If he's going to be with the sparrows and they, they cross mate, I, I'm just wondering what color of sparrows we're going to end up with. <laughs> Bill Tucker, Global News. Poor little parakeet. I'm surprised he's still going. Well, I'm maybe the sparrows is, are taking but... care of him. Yeah. All right, final word on the weather, Christy. Mm -hmm. So we are going to see some snowfall in the interior, light amounts, but it does mean a chance of showers making its way over the mountains for our region. It should be drier and breaks of blue sky in the afternoon, though. I love breaks of blue sky. That's all the time we have. Have a good night, everyone.